0: Community Church, I'm going to give us a number of announcements before we hear from our worship song and sermon this morning. I was on a Zoom call recently with a number of ministry leaders in Wilmington and also the mayor, and the word that they were using most often to describe what churches are trying to do in June and July is reopen. We've decided to use the word regather. Now that might seem like a small point, but we just want to emphasize that our, our church actually hasn't shut down. We did have to shut down the use of our building, but the church is made up of people who, during the quarantine, have consistently reached out and helped each other. Whether it's virtual connections or videos or small groups, drive throughs picnics, Christ Community Church is alive and well. But we have not been able to gather, so we do have a plan for regathering. If by chance you haven't seen that plan, you can access it through the weekly newsletter that we email out or by contacting the front office. We don't want you to miss any of the details so that we can all be together again as soon as possible. Parents of teens, the youth ministry has in fact a plan for the summer. And we've published that through the weekly email as well as a video announcement, just detailing all the things we're going to do this summer. If you haven't received that, contact me or Sam Husky, and we'll make sure you get the plan as well. This last Tuesday, one of our ministries named El Cuerpo, which is directed by Lizzie Cooper, had an effective drive-through right here in the church parking lot. They partnered with a number of other organizations in town and handed out food cleaning supplies, and children's resources. Over 310 cars came through that drive through It was a very successful event. The event started at 5 p.m., and it was reported to me that cars started lining up at 2.45 p.m. So what a great effort on the part of Lizzie El Cuerpo and all the volunteers that helped. We're always so thankful for the continued support that Christ Community Church receives from its congregation, We all on staff and the session all want to say thank you so much for faithfully continuing to support the ministry here at Christ Community through this quarantine. At the end of today's sermon, we are highlighting the high school seniors who are graduating. So instead of cutting it off right after the sermon, let it play and let's celebrate our graduating seniors together.
1: Thank you for joining in worship today. We're going to sing Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let no one caught in sin remain, inside the light of inward shame. But fix our eyes upon the cross, and run to Him to show grace.
2: all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well good morning Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. I wanted to introduce our speaker today uh, Matt McFarlane. We had actually had him on the schedule to speak speak for us back in April and uh, because of the coronavirus it just didn't work out and I kept thinking that we would be back together but it's been so long I thought well Matt he can just give us a, a sermon from Charlotte which is where he's living now And so today, we will have him back, but today it's really a delight for me to introduce Matt McFarland. Matt was a a college student here in our college ministry at UNCW, and I specifically remember meeting Matt, I think it was his freshman or sophomore year, he came to my house for a a dinner or a lunch, and uh, he was trying to do a stand-up comedy at that point. So it was really funny just listening to him try to be funny to the pastor, And, and he was pretty funny. Uh, but he got involved in our college ministry, He actually became a ministry apprentice the year after his, uh, his last year in college. And so many of you know him from that. And another great story about Matt is when he came to interview for the ministry apprentice program, he tried to dress just like me. (laughs) He had a blue shirt on and he had khakis and, you know, brown shoes. And it was really, uh, it was a sweet little moment. Um, but Matt, after his, uh, his year of, as a ministry apprentice, decided to go to seminary. So he's at Reform Theological Seminary, RTS in Charlotte. Uh, he is finishing his second year now of three-plus years. I mean, so he's got another year or two to go, uh, depending on how that works out. So we are very proud of Matt. We've supported him in his seminary endeavors. We're great to still be friends and connected to him, and I'm grateful for him to uh, come to us this morning and preach God's word. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, everyone.
3: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt McFarling, and Christ Community Church was my home church for five years. I went there for four years as a student at UNCW, and then I also stuck around one extra year as a MAP intern. And um, I could go on and on about how Christ Community has influenced me, and um, really God used them. And the leadership in place and the whole body there to really change my life in a lot of ways. Um, Now I am a seminary student at RTS Charlotte, or that's short for Reformed Theological Seminary. And I just finished year two of four, so I have about two years left there. And I'll be pursuing a career in pastoral ministry. It's my pleasure and honor to be preaching to you this morning though I would have never thought my first sermon at Christ's community would be under these circumstances. I would have never dreamed in a million years that my first sermon to Christ's community would be from my very own apartment. Um, but still, I praise God for this opportunity. I'm excited to share with you uh, from God's Word this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 7, and then we will also look at verses 18 through 22. And the context for this passage is that uh, it's after God has miraculously freed the Israelites from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He has saved them and adopted them as a people of his own, and now he's giving them his law to obey. And today we're going to specifically look at the law called the Sabbath year. The Sabbath year. So uh, I hope you're there in your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. Now down to verse 18, therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives." Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. Help us see how a law from Leviticus applies to our lives and gives us great comfort today. We ask that you continue to call the lost to yourself. Call those that are seeking or curious to yourself. And would you save and sanctify those listening this morning? For your glory. Amen. Resting is extremely difficult, especially when it looks like there's work to be done. Resting is extremely difficult, especially when it looks like there's work to be done. Put another way, we all sense the necessity of work. We all know that we need to work in order to provide, in order to progress towards our goals and dreams. So when we are forced to stop, when we are forced to the sideline, when we're forced to rest, it can just feel downright wrong. As of May 8th, earlier this month, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused our unemployment rate to rise to 147 percent. That's 20 and a half million jobs gone. And for some perspective, as recently as February, our unemployment rate was only 3.5 percent, the lowest in over 50 years. Now, I am unsure what the exact situation is in the congregation of Christ Community Church, but I know that this time must be difficult. Many of you may be learning to trust God when you cannot work. Or maybe you're still able to work, but progress in your job or progress in some goal that you are pursuing is suddenly halted. Maybe as a church, Christ's community was growing, thriving, ministries were being fruitful, and suddenly COVID comes in, and it looks like everything's come to a stop. You're forced to rest in a way, but it doesn't feel like rest at all. Because you'd rather be working. Now, in our passage today, Israel was unable to work for an entire year. Now, this was not because of a pandemic, but because God commanded them to observe a year of rest. During the Sabbath year, Israel had to trust God to provide for their material needs as well as their spiritual needs. This was a reminder that he was the provider of both of them. So our purpose in this message today is that whether you are employed, unemployed, struggling, or thriving, my prayer is that you would trust God to provide in difficult times. Both financially, materially, and spiritually. Especially when you want to work, but are held back in some way. The purpose today is that you would trust God to provide for you. Now, as a disclaimer, I did not choose this passage because of the coronavirus. I was actually planning on preaching this um, as early as a few months ago when I was scheduled to come preach at Christ Community, but all this happened and the schedule got changed. But um, really, after praying about it and reflecting on it, this passage seemed maybe even more appropriate to preach on in God's timing and providence Um, So today, I want to point your attention to four points, or four lessons, that we can learn from the Sabbath year. Four points that we can learn from this law. And the first point is this. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. Now, when you first look at this passage, you might think, this doesn't seem like a typical salvation by grace passage. I don't even see where you're getting this from, Matt. Well, it's actually, it is here implied in this text. We are reminded of how Israel was saved by God. The entire nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God saved them, freed them, adopted them as his own, and he was giving them their own land. And in our passage, we have a reminder that Israel's salvation was not earned by anything they did, but given to them. Look with me in verse 2 of our passage. God said to Moses, when you come into the land that I give you, when you come into the land that I give you, God was giving them this land. It's not because they earned it, but it was a free gift of God's grace. And if you blink, you will miss that in our passage. But it's important to grasp because there are often two misconceptions that people have when they approach the Old Testament. Two misconceptions even Christians can have when they approach the Old Testament. And the first misconception is this. They'll say salvation in the New Testament is by grace, but salvation in the Old Testament is by works. Salvation in the New Testament is by faith in Jesus, but Salvation in the Old Testament is by strict obedience to the law. Now, this is a misconception. Salvation in the Old Testament and the New Testament has always been by grace. Grace means the undeserved favor of God or the undeserved love of God. It means that God's love and salvation cannot be earned with good works. It is freely given from God as a gift to anyone who places their trust and faith in the one true God. Now, observance of the law was still important for Israel, and obedience to God is still important for the Christian today, but this was not to earn their salvation. It was a response of love and obedience. Salvation comes before obedience. Or put in more theological terms, justification comes before sanctification. And I wanted to start here in this sermon, um, not because it's the main point of the law, but because if you don't start from here, you're going to get this wrong. If, If you're watching today and you've been trying to get right with God based on your good works, you need to know that is impossible. Salvation comes only through faith in the one true God. It was true for Israel, and it's true for us today. And 2,000 years ago, this God became a man and came to earth as Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life of obedience that you could not live, and then he died paying the penalty for your sin and my sin. He took God's wrath upon himself and died a real death, for you and for me. And then he was risen from the dead three days later in order to give us and offer us new life, new resurrection life through him. If you've never been born again, or if you've never given him your heart, if you've never feel like you've truly trusted in the grace of God for you, don't wait. Ask him for the gift of salvation today. He is loving and merciful, and he offers you new life in him, and he's calling you today to follow him. So that's the first misconception. The first misconception is that Old Testament salvation is by works. The second misconception is this. Someone will think something like, Jesus died fulfilling the entire Old Testament law. Therefore, laws in the book of Leviticus are unimportant, for the Christian today. Laws in the book of Leviticus are unimportant for the Christian today. Well, this misconception is half right and half wrong. It is true that Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Old Testament law and died in a perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices, but it's false to say that because of that, the Old Testament law doesn't apply to the Christian. Paul writes in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So he's saying all of Scripture equips us, trains us to be more godly in some way. So The point of the law isn't only to show us how Christ fulfills it, which is very important, arguably maybe the most important. The point of the law is also not only to show us that we can't keep it, which is also true. We can't keep the law perfectly. That's why we need Christ. But there is another use of the law for the Christian that um, we are supposed to learn from it and train up to godliness in it. From the law, we are supposed to be obedient to it and love it and love holiness. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Law is not a bad word in the Christian life as long as it's used rightly. So the question with this law is not does this law apply to Christians, but rather how does this law apply to Christians? It might not apply to the same exact way, it might not apply in the same exact way as we will see, but there are still lessons and principles we can learn from it. So a few examples of how uh, Leviticus laws might apply differently to the Christian. One is that God's people, the church, is not limited to one specific land as Israel was. So laws that are dependent on the land, such as the Sabbath year, need to be applied differently. This land of Canaan, the promised land, was also considered the inheritance of Israel. But today, in the New Covenant, in the church, our inheritance is not the land of Israel, but rather a new heavens and a new earth. So laws dealing with our inheritance should also be applied differently. Also, the church is not a theocracy. We are not a theocratic state nation as Israel was. We are called a holy nation in Scripture, but in the church it's more of a spiritual reality than a geographic one. So it is clear that this law applies to us differently than it did the nation of Israel, but it still does apply. The first application is that salvation is by grace and grace alone. The land was not earned by Israel, but was given to them as a gift of grace. Likewise, our inheritance in the kingdom of God is not earned by good works, but given by God's amazing grace. Would you trust in that grace this day? The second point is this. God is sovereign Lord over all creation. God is sovereign Lord over all Over all creation. Look again with me at verse two, when he says, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. God is reminding his people that the land of Canaan ultimately belongs to him. God is the landlord, and the Israelites are the tenants. Therefore God has authority over what can and cannot be done to the land. For those of you who have lived in apartments like I am right now, uh, like my wife and I do right now, you know that you cannot do whatever you want to them. Every single paint job, every alteration, every big thing that you might think of needs permission from the landlord because the landlord has authority over the property. The landlord is sovereign over that apartment. And with this authority that God has, he puts in an interesting and somewhat confusing law in place. He says the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. That word is Sabbath, it just means rest. Most of us are probably familiar with the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment. Six days you shall work and the seventh day you shall rest. Today in the church, we observe that on the Lord's Day on Sunday. But here, God says that the land itself will also experience rest. Look with me down in verse 3 and verse 4 in Leviticus 25. God says, For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So, every seventh year, all farming activity ceases. The people must rest for an entire year, and in effect, the land will also experience rest. Now, why does God give this law to His people? One reason is that it is a, it is a reminder that God is sovereign a reminder that God rules and reigns not only over Israel, but over all creation. The entire universe belongs to God. This takes us back to Genesis, when God created everything in six days, but on the seventh, he rested. On the seventh day, he rested. That word for rest, Shabbat, in the Hebrew is where we get Sabbath from. So the Sabbath year, just like the Sabbath day, was, spo- was supposed to point Israel back to God's rest at creation. It was a reminder that every square inch of creation belongs to God. He is sovereign Lord over all of it. This means that Israel owed him their allegiance in every area of life because God was the owner of everything they did and everything they had but this was also a truth of great comfort that a good and loving God was in control. Now, this is helpful for us today. It is a great comfort that God is sovereign over our situation. This applies to the pandemic that we are currently in. This virus and the disease that comes from it are results of the fall. But we must remember that God is in control and he is sovereign over it all and is working through it for his glory. He has the authority to end it. He has the authority to heal those who are sick. He has the authority to heal the broken heart and the authority to uh, restore the economy. We are thankful for doctors and for our civil leaders who've been working tirelessly to to serve people during this time, and their effort truly is making a difference. They are using their authority for good. But we must remember that only God has ultimate authority. Therefore, our hope in all areas of life, pandemic or not, should ultimately be in Him. His authority should be an incredible comfort to His people. And this comfort is that when we rest, we join in God's Sabbath rest. Third point from this law. The Lord will provide for His people. The Lord will provide for His people. Now, this point is where we will spend most of our time and because we need to unpack how God provides for his people, we need to flesh out some of the details of this law. We've already seen that every seventh year, all farming activity ceases. No planting, no harvesting. Now, we need to understand that this was an agricultural nation. Farming was the main source of work. The economy of Israel was dependent on its farmers. Now, it may be hard to feel the weight of this living in Wilmington. It's certainly hard for me to visualize it. I've lived in cities my entire life, and I live in Charlotte right now. But my wife is from Nebraska. Elena is from a very agricultural and rural place. I remember when I visited her parents for the first time, I'd never seen so much farmland in my life. I mean, I thought I'd seen farms in North Carolina, but it's nothing compared to the kind of farming that's going on in Nebraska. You drive down the highway, and for hundreds of miles, you have corn on one side and soybeans on the other side. Elena's childhood home is surrounded by farmland. Her next-door neighbor lives four miles away. That's how much land surrounds them. We got married in her backyard, and we had this view behind us. The Radford family was there. Parker Davis was there. You could ask them all about it. And they will tell you farming was everything. There were crops as far as the eye could see. So maybe a better picture would be to ask ourselves, what would happen to Nebraska if all farming ceased For a year, the economy would come to a screeching halt. Life would be very, very different. During this year, for Israel, life looked very different. For Israel, the economy looked very different. But we must remember, the Sabbath year was not a punishment for Israel. It was supposed to be a blessing to them. And one of the blessings was that it gave room for God to show off. It gave room for God to remind them that he is the true and ultimate provider for his people. The Sabbath year is also mentioned back in Exodus chapter 23. And, and it gives us another angle on this law. It says instead of harvesting in the seventh year, the poor could come through the fields and graze and eat for free. Whatever the poor didn't eat, the wild animals ate. So the Sabbath year was a way of providing for the poor and even the ecosystem of animals. God provided through uh, letting them glean through the fields. So the poor could come and glean through the fields. But you may ask how is everyone else going to eat? How is everyone else going to eat? A farmer may say, well, there will be an aftergrowth. Whatever grows in of itself, we can harvest it and hoard it and keep it for ourselves. After all, you can never be too safe. These were the uh, toilet paper hoarders, if you will. But God doesn't let them do that here. Look with me in verse 5. This is what he tells the farmers. He says, you shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest. Or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. In other words, don't harvest it. You can't plant, but you can't harvest either. Don't hoard it to yourself. So the question is, how does everyone eat if you can't harvest your crops? The answer, everyone eats like the poor. Everyone may glean the fields and take just enough for their daily bread. Everyone was reminded every day during this year that their provision ultimately doesn't come from their own work, but from God's work. Look with me now in verses 6 and 7 of Leviticus 25. He says, The Sabbath of the land, or what actually means the Sabbath produce, or what the land produces without you, when the land produces on its own, The Sabbath produce of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. The point of this law was for Israel to recognize that God is the ultimate owner and provider of all things. He provided their salvation by grace, and he will provide their daily bread as well. And he has the authority to do this because he's sovereign. The land's fruitfulness was not ultimately dependent on the Israelites' work. It was dependent on God's work. The land's fruitfulness was a gift of God's grace. So, how does this apply to the Christian today? First, we must recognize that this promise was specifically made to the theocratic nation of Israel in the land of Canaan. It was was very specifically tied to the land. God did not make this specific promise to any other nation and any other land. Therefore, this is not an agricultural model for America to follow. If all of our farmers took a year-long vacation we should not expect a miraculous provision of food on our tables. So that's not how the Christian should apply this law today. But there is a lot that we can take away from this spiritually. We are reminded that no matter what we do, whatever goals we have, work is important. Remember, in order to rest on the seventh day, we must work for six days. In order for the Israelites to rest in the seventh year, they must work hard for six years. So, work is important. So, our work is important, but it is not the ultimate factor in our fruitfulness. Our work is not the ultimate factor in our fruitfulness. The deciding factor in all that we do, all that we have, is God's provision. So glory and thanksgiving should be given to him for all that we have. And dependence should be given to him for all that we need. The Apostle Paul knew this was true in his own ministry. He writes this in 1 Corinthians 3 about the fruit of the gospel and people coming to faith in Christ. This is what Paul writes. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. So, maybe right now, you're not able to plant or water as much as you'd like. The events of this world may have prevented you from investing in your work as much as you'd like, as much as you normally would. Maybe as a church right now, as you're unable to meet, it feels like ministry has suddenly halted. The growth has suddenly been stunted. Maybe there's a a, a non-Christian or a family you were reaching out to, and suddenly uh, your communication with them has been drastically diminished. And even though you're able to talk with them over phone, it's not the same as inviting them to worship. It feels like you're sidelined from your work. Take heart, because even when you're not working, God is working. God is the one who gives the growth. God has promised to provide for his people. I love these words from the lips of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says the birds neither sow nor reap nor harvest their crops, yet God provides for them. Doesn't that sound familiar to our Sabbath year? They neither sow nor reap, but God provides the growth and feeds them. Jesus says a few verses later, Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek God. Trust him. Depend on him. He will provide both physical needs and spiritual needs. The Sabbath year reminds us of this truth. Fourth and final point for this law. By resting now, we anticipate an even greater rest. By resting now, we anticipate an even greater rest. One beautiful thing about the Sabbath year is that it brought everyone down to the same level. During this year, whether rich or poor, Every Israelite had the same diet and the same work schedule. The diet, glean the fields. Work, none. And there was a great sense of equality during this time. Everyone shared with one another and looked out for one another. They looked out for their needs and their care for each other during the Sabbath year was supposed to reflect God's care and provision for them. God truly cared for every category of person in Israel. Just listen to this list in verse 6. God says, The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you. Now, as a disclaimer, when this text mentions slaves, it's not identical to American slavery and the great evil that that was, um, but rather this was more like indentured servanthood in order to pay off debts that someone owed. That's what slavery in Israel was. Um, there's a much larger discussion on that, but the point with God speaking of all these different types of people is this, the list was supposed to be all-inclusive, the point is that during the Sabbath year, there is equality among every category of person. Everyone was reminded of their dignity. Everyone was reminded that they were created in God's image, no matter rich or poor, slave or free. Everyone could come and eat free from God's hand, no matter who they were. Some of you may already be thinking, this is a foretaste of the inclusivity of the gospel. This is a teaser for how the gospel would be inclusive of every kind of person. It's like what Paul writes in Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone may come freely to Jesus, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, Latin, Asian, every category of person may come to God through Christ. Right now, as I'm filming, it's Saturday, May 30th, so just this week I've seen the terrible events of George Floyd's death and the fallout that's happened from that, and uh, many Christians feel the responsibility of joining in the conversation, joining in the conversation of uh, race relations and police brutality, and um, and and equality, and and rightly so. Christians should be in those conversations. We first and foremost we should be listeners. We should listen to our brothers and sisters who are really hurting from this. But I'm sure we've seen by this point that there's both helpful and unhelpful ways to join in the conversation. And we can't unpack all of that here. That's a much larger discussion. But as you enter discussions that have a narrative of inequality, or that has a, a narrative of um, of a need for reconciliation. When there's a narrative of inequality, I want to give you this encouragement. Bring the gospel with you into the conversation. And this is the reason why, is that the time is ripe in our culture for the gospel. When there is a narrative of inequality, the culture is ripe and ready for a message of equality. And true equality, we see a foretaste of it in the Sabbath year, but we see it fulfilled in Christ. True equality comes through the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. We are all equally dependent on Christ. We come to him as sinners and he makes us saints by his grace. So just as all people could enjoy the fruit and rest of the Sabbath year, all people today can enjoy the gift of the gospel and fellowship in the church. And this happens through faith in the one true God. Bring that message of equality into your conversations. Listen, but preach the gospel boldly. So there is rest, there is equality, but it gets even better. As the Israelites experienced this rest, it whetted their appetite for an even greater rest to come. As the Israelites experienced this equality, it whetted their appetite for an even greater equality to come. This greater rest, you see later on in chapter 25, this greater rest was the year of Jubilee. Every seventh year is the Sabbath year. But after seven Sabbath years, in the 50th year, it was declared the year of Jubilee. And this was even a greater rest. This was like the Sabbath year on steroids. During the Jubilee, there was no farming. All property was returned to the ancestors of their original owners. So your great-grandma's farm, it's yours now. All slaves were set free. And all debts were forgiven. The Jubilee is like a giant reset button. It almost sounds like heaven on earth, doesn't it? Every time an Israelite experienced the Sabbath year, it was supposed to prepare them, excite them, and whet their appetite for an even greater rest in the year of Jubilee. Every Sabbath year was seven years closer to the Jubilee. As the Israelites rested, they anticipated an even greater rest in the future. This also applies to the church today. The Sabbath year not only points us back to creation, as we discussed earlier, the Sabbath year points us forward to redemption. When you become a Christian, when you're born again, you immediately start participating in God's rest. A spiritual Sabbath rest from all your works. Jesus says in Matthew eleven, twenty eight, he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you follow Jesus you immediately experience that rest. That rest is available now, yet it's not fully realized yet. We experience a rest now as Christians, but there is a greater rest to come. You may hear it described as the already and the not yet. A greater jubilee is coming for us when all wrongs will be made right. All of God's people will be free from sickness, injustice, debt, heartache, and sin. There will be no more death. The inclusion of animals that we saw in the Sabbath year reminds us that not only humanity will be restored, but all of God's creation will be renewed. The curse and fall of sin will be eradicated. Behold, He is making all things new. Our hope is not ultimately in the end of a pandemic or the provision of our material needs. Our hope is... Is in a God who is bringing a new heavens and a new earth. Our hope is in a greater Jubilee, a final Sabbath, a great eternal rest when we behold Christ, the Redeemer of all creation and all of his beauty. That is our hope. But for now, while we wait, we experience the already but not yet rest in Christ. It's available to us through him. The Sabbath year reminds us as we rest now, we anticipate an even greater rest to come. I'll close with this. Today this text calls us to trust in God's provision. And there's perhaps no better example of this in history than a man named George Mueller. George Mueller was a Christian in England in the 1800s whose ministry uh, largely uh, was caring for orphans through orphanages that he helped start. And throughout his orphanages, he cared for over 120,000 orphans. But what was most impressive was his humble yet bold dependence on God for everything in life. He never published a budget for others to see, He never let people know the needs of his ministry, but he simply took his needs and requests to God and asked that he would provide. In his journal, he has records of over 50,000 answered prayers, 30,000 of which were answered on the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. One story illustrates this. One morning at his orphanage, There was no food for the children to eat. All these hungry orphans and no food for them to eat. Also, there was no more money for them to go buy food. And Mueller turned and saw the children lining up for breakfast. And he decided to pray a prayer. He actually prayed their normal breakfast prayer. He prayed this. He said, Father, we thank you for the food that you're going to give us to eat. We thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Such a bold, confident prayer in light of an empty kitchen. How could he pray such a prayer? Well, immediately after, there was a knock at the door, and there was a baker standing there. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. And then right after the baker left, there was another knock at the door, and it was a milkman. And he said his cart had broken outside and that uh, the milk would spoil by the time he was able to fix the wheel, so he wanted the orphanage to have the milk. In a matter of seconds, God provided milk and bread. Mueller, in his journal later in life, wrote this. He said, Be assured, if you walk with him and look to him, and expect help from Him, He will never fail you. That's what we need to hear this morning from this Sabbath year law. Be assured, if you walk with Him and look to Him and expect help from Him, He will never fail you. The Sabbath year reminds us that God is our Savior, our Sovereign Lord, our Provider, and our Redeemer. Would you trust Him and rest in Him this day let's pray father thank you for your word thank you to speaking thank you for speaking to us through it this morning we ask that you would help us trust you in everything we ask that you would strengthen our faith and forgive us for our unbelief help us trust in you Lord, I pray specifically for the congregation of Christ Community Church that you would provide their needs in a miraculous and mighty way this week. And that you would give this congregation eyes to see your provision in everything. Help us trust you in all that we do. Amen.
0: Well, now it's one of my favorite moments of the entire school year. We have so much to celebrate with our graduating seniors from high school. Every time I see their faces, I think of so many years of memories. Van rides on trips and activities we've done together. Bridge, detour, and Sunday morning. All of those wonderful memories that I personally cherish and th- as they've grown up and have become young men and young women they've really become friends to me and I'm so very proud of them you know of all the people that have suffered greatly in this quarantine high school seniors they're 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 in that number they have lost a lot think about it graduation ceremonies prom dances really any and all end of the year activities in their high schools, and churches have almost completely been erased from the calendar and as we take that loss and mourn it we do want to pause and see the beauty in each one of these high school seniors the glory of God as it's been visited upon their life as they've grown into maturity and made us all proud if you know any of these high school seniors we would encourage you to reach out to them and just tell them how proud you are of all the things that they've accomplished. We're going to see some videos and some pictures of these graduating seniors, and then I'll pray at the end.
1: Hi, my name is Macy Lane. Um, I've been attending Christ Community Church since around 2004, so I guess it's been like 15 years. So I would definitely say that I grew up at Christ Community, and there have definitely been a lot of people that have impacted me, um, like the Garrison family. They've let me come hang out with them and just been a really good influence in my life. And my youth leaders like Morgan and Jesse Kennedy and Kelly and Grace and Spatel, they've been really great influences and role models and just kind of helped teach me how to live my life. And my mom and dad's small group has been really big um, in showing me what it's like to have Christian fellowship and just um, what it's like to be good friends And so without all of these people, I would not be attending Stanford University in Alabama next year to get a degree in nursing. So thank you for all you've done, Christ Community.
4: Hi, my name is Jenna
1: Kife. I'm a senior at Hoggard High School this year. Um, I've attended Christ Community Church since I was about 18 months old. Um, I'm really thankful for all the support and encouragement I've gotten from the people there. Um, People like Kelly Spatel, Sam Husky, and Abby Miller have all particularly helped me grow my faith, and I'm really thankful for them. Um, This fall, I'm planning to attend UNC Charlotte. Um, I'm really thankful for my time at this church, and I'm really excited for the next four years.
0: And who are some of the leaders that you've gotten to know over the years? Well, I've
1: gotten to know Graham, Pearson, Will, uh, Kelly, um, shout out Grayson, uh, uh, Sam. I've met with Pearson often for Bible study, on Wednesdays, and yeah, it just gets me closer to God. So I like the environment. I like being around people that also wanted the same thing as I did, which was get closer to God. So it was a win-win. Oh, so go to k play soccer, and just live like happy.
0: Hello, guys, community. My name is Elijah Smith, and I'm part of the 2020 graduating class. I've been coming to Christ Community for as long as I can remember. Um, one way that Christ Community has helped me in my spiritual growth is its dedication to teaching the Bible. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's played a part in my spiritual growth from my Sunday school teachers to youth leaders to Pastor Paul and his preaching every Sunday. As for next year, I'll be attending Cape Fear Community College, where I'll be testing in the waters of the medical field and hopefully playing soccer. Um, miss seeing everybody, Hope everybody's staying well. Uh, Hope to see you soon.
1: All right, Lindsay.
4: You're showing off
1: your beautiful (laughs) sign. Class of 2020. Lindsay, how long have you come to Christ Community Church?
4: Like, almost like four years.
1: Four years. Yes,
4: from 2014. Wow. Wow. That's six years. That's like six years. Oh, my goodness. They invite me. I was there. I didn't know that thing is not up. all so they told me to let's go over there that I'm gonna have phone they're gonna like give you some Bible studies and stuff like that so that's why I came to that group and then became Christ there. Yeah. yeah and did you meet Jesus at Christ community or did yes. you already know him I, I know him because my family are Christian so yes. it came from all my family Miss Michelle, one, one of them. Elijah's mom, Miss Susan, yeah. um, Connor's mom, Miss Sharon, Miss Hannah's mom, Miss Angela, Pastor Paul, they opened the door for me. Yeah. So I appreciate them because mm-hmm. they opened the door for me. I'm gonna go to Cape Fear for two years. That's I'm plenty and I'm gonna do some like worship with the community because that was I like first I like it because it's a lot of going on in this world that we don't know and we have to protect our world so that's why I came to my plan that was the first thing I think when I was little that was my passion Hey y'all, my name is Shoshana Stowe and I've attended Christ Community for the past year and a half now and some people that have really influenced my time there would be Lauren Reagan and um, Sharon Radford. I remember I sat with Lauren at my first sermon and um, I've done an internship with Ms. Radford this past year and the preaching of pastor paul has just really influenced my life and i'm so so grateful that i've had this community in the past um, year and a half and it's really just a beautiful place Um, next year i will be attending east carolina and i plan to major in secondary education thank y'all
0: up these graduating seniors to you. We know them well and love them. We've seen them grow through the ministries here at Christ Community. Their families have intermingled with ours, and, and we're so very proud of all of their accomplishments up to this date and are excited for their futures if they go, as they go off to college, if they try to find their careers and try to establish their families. God, we pray for wisdom, that they would be able to see the things that you would want them to see and to make the right decisions to have the strength and courage to stand up to temptation when it comes, to have peace and joy when uh, depression or isolation or loneliness comes. God, I pray for them to have great communities of churches and friends that encourage them in their faith and challenge them to grow, that they might be able to see their gifts and put them into application for the furthering of the gospel and the building of your kingdom. God, we pray for every one of these families as they watch their seniors graduate and move into the next step. We love them. We pray that they would seek first your kingdom, knowing that all these things will be added to them.